All right, you guys, here we are. It is Sunday, June 10th. We are in Revelation chapter 20, part 11. This will be the final part of Revelation chapter 20. Next week, 21, then 22, and we will have done it. So I know I keep promising, but we're, we're making headway. Let's do what we do, and let's begin with a word of prayer. We'll sing the word of God, set to music, sit in silence for a couple minutes, and then come back and get into our study, uh, which is, uh, I think it's going to be kind of interesting because we're going to do some recapitulation, as we would say. We're going to be going back over some things just to remind ourselves, and it is a bit redundant, but it's through sometimes redundancy that we learn. So uh, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll hear the word set to music. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that your spirit will be with us to have all this information somehow have application to our modern lives, that uh, we won't just be book smart and have all the facts and details, or at least what we think are the facts and details, but that we, our hearts will be molded to be better people, to love people more as you loved us. Uh, unconditionally and uh, and always as far as it is possible in our relationship with you. We pray that for those who can't be here or those who are watching at home, pray for Paula who just wrote she's very sick and then other people who uh, tune in to the study together from all over the world. We just pray that you'll be with them and bless them as part of our uh, uh, family of believers. Uh, so be with us now, Lord, and uh, we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. One, two, three, four. One, two, three. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by Bye. 
Okay, we left off reading verses 8 and 9 of Revelation 20, and the discussion was about the battle of Gog and Magog, and uh, I said that my estimation after we talked about that last week, after everything was said and done, is that in Ezekiel, that battle of Gog and Magog was a picture or type to be fulfilled in the book of Revelation at that last day, and so... uh, Verse 8 and 9, speaking of Satan, who has been loosed and unbound during this time, says, And he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, and the number of whom is the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And it's at this point, we covered that last week, that we read about the end of the last things associated with that time. Of course, some of you believe that time is still coming. That would be Gog and Magog, the battle's coming, the Antichrist is coming, Jesus is coming. And my position is that this New Testament has described what was happening then and there, and we're in a completely different age, a completely different age since the fulfillment of everything that has taken place in Revelation. So it's at this point that we read about the end of the last things associated with that age. Let's cover these verses quickly, which to the modern Christian reader seems like an impossibility of what I'm about to read. It seems like there is no way possible these things have happened when we look around uh, at our lives and on this earth and the things that are going on. So let's read the, ch- the rest of the verses, 10 through 15, the last verses of chapter 20. And you listen to what is said, and you're going to probably ag- agree, boy, that sounds improbable that that has already occurred. It says in verse 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then John says, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. 
And whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This sounds like it's the end all. It's going to happen in the future. We're waiting for the great white throne judgment. We're waiting to for Satan to be cast into the lake of fire and on and on and on and on. And so, uh, but the interesting thing is we have two more chapters. This was just, this is what John saw. And suddenly we have two more chapters where he begins to describe another kind of existence, another period of time, it seems like, or another series of events that will occur. And, and so at least you can agree with me to say, well, this sounds like the end of everything, but there's two more chapters where John, which we're going to get into next week, talks about more things to, that are coming. So what was ending here? What was happening when the dead were being judged and the books were open and, and the sea gave up its dead and hell and death and Satan are cast into the lake of fire? I mean, obviously that hasn't happened yet, right? That's what futurists say. So before moving on, it's really important for us to reiterate the idea, which I'm sure many of you understand by now, the biblical concept of two ages. The scripture, Old and New Testament, for the Jews talked about two ages, two periods of time. And we've touched on this, but uh, a solid reiteration is going to help. And so I'm going to ask your forbearance as we go through and discuss what the Bible means when they talk about this present age and they talk about the age to come. Now, those two ages that are frequently spoken of within the New Testament, you, I want you to ask yourself, are we in what the New Testament writers called this present age? Still, okay? So Paul writes this present age. Are we still in that? Now, if you believe we are, then you should be practicing church like the New Testament describes church. You should be in a church with an elders and you should be in church with deacons and you should be in churches where there's apostolic authority because that's what the uh, apostolic church was and they had apostles who were guiding that church. So I think you should be in a church with apostles if we're going to be intellectually honest. And you should be fearful of things and you should be careful about what meats you eat, and you should be careful about how you treat widows. And there's an assortment of New Testament things that are talked about in that present age then that if we're still in it should still be applicable to us. I mean, let's be fair. That's how it should be. So the question, are we still in the present age in our day? And of course, that's a debatable question. And however you answer that determines your eschatology or your study of end things. Are we in what scriptures call the present age or are we in what scripture calls the age to come? When Paul wrote, we're in the present age, but there's an age to come. Are we in that age to come? If we're in the age to come, then the contents of chapter 21 and 22 are going to be describing what we're in, which we'll get into next week. If we're in the present age, 
then we're still in all the turmoil that we have read about in the book of Revelation, and we're waiting for the end to come, etc., etc. Now, I want to say something here. While we're all real adamant about our respective eschatological stances, I'm an idealist, I'm a historist, I'm a preterist, I'm a futurist, um, and we need to deal with each other in love, irrespective of them, and I emphasize that, in reality, there's only one truth here. There, there, there isn't, everyone can't be right here. It's impossible. And so if there is a truth here, I really want to know what it is. And, and either Jesus has returned or not to the present age, and, and, we're, and we're waiting for him, or, all, or he hasn't. All the subplot stuff that people come up with, which I hear a lot of it, well, I believe he came back then because scripture is pretty clear, but I think he's going to come back again. I hate that stuff is just trying to deal with the fact that you're not ready to really grasp what the scripture says to me. If I'm wrong, I'm not ready to grasp us still being in the present age. Okay? So somewhere therein the truth lies, and God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. To know God and to know his son is to have eternal life. To know these things is important. Truth is important. So if he did come back, that's one thing. And if he didn't, that is a completely another thing. Now I have people tell me, eschatology really doesn't matter. You know, I, I, there's so many different views. I'm just not going to bother myself with it. And we are wrapping up the study of Revelation. And I want to tell you right now, it matters greatly to the Christian walk that you have. Because if you believe we are still in the apostolic church age, or perhaps just the church age still, the apostles have died off. We don't need them anymore, but we're still in the church age. If you believe that, you should be living the Christian life in a different way than what the scripture says would be after the Christian age, which is God writes his laws upon our hearts and on our minds. We all relate to him by the spirit and uh, anything that could be shaken would no longer be shaken because it would all be laid to the dust and we would have a direct relationship with God in that future age. And so did Jesus return, number one, and are we still in the present age described by the apostles, number two? There's a Puritan theologian by the name of Dr. John Owen, 1616 to 1683. He wrote, most expositors suppose that this expression, the last days, is a paraphrasis, a euphemism, for the times of the gospel. He goes on, but it doth not appear that they are anywhere so called nor were they ever known by the name among the Jews upon whose principles the apostles proceeds. It is the last days of the Judaical church and state. When you read last days in scripture, he says it's the last days of the Judaical church and state, which were then drawing to their period and abolition that are here and elsewhere called the last days, the latter days, the last hour. This phrase of speech is usually used in the Old Testament to denote the last days of the Judaical church. So what that guy says is, when we read that of these last days, two different ages, when we read of the last age, it was talking about the last age of the Judaic church, the temple, the rites, rituals, animal sacrifice. That is what was meant by in this age, 
Last days, that's what was ending, coming to an end, and then we would enter into a brand new phase once that was over. Now, there's a guy named David Duncan, and he created um, uh, something I'm going to share with you on the board. Dave, I'm going to go to the board right now, and uh, hopefully you can see this, and I think it will help you understand what we're talking about. Two ages were at hand. One was ending, and one was beginning. And, we, and I've always taught, like in the book of Acts, that Genesis through book of Acts up till day of Pentecost, till uh, Acts chapter 10, we have pretty much Old Testament. And, and then we have New Testament. Well, in between there, we have the intertestamentary period and we have the Gospels. So the book of Acts serves as a link between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The apostles coming in to the Jews and teaching them that the fading away of that other age is happening because a new age is coming in. And the book of Acts is that ebb and flow of the old coming and dying and the flow in of the new, right? Well, this is what this, this thing kind of does. He says one age is ending and one age is beginning and he diagrams it like this. Okay? And so he would call this the mosaic age. That is ending here, but you can see it bellies forward this way, but we're coming to its end, okay? We also have a beginning age that begins here, and uh, he calls it the new covenant age, all right? So all that's really important. This area between here, he labels, and I think this is good, the 40-year transition. This 40-year, because thousand uh, millennia in the Greek and in the Hebrew was representational, it was not a literal thousand years, is what many fulfillment people call the millennium. And it was a time when the gospel, the new covenant age introduced here, was able to have a period of peace before complete destruction of uh, the... So the start, let's put it this way. The start, if I got this right, is the cross of Christ. It wasn't when he was born. It wasn't when he walked among the Jews. It was the cross, and we'll just say it was 30 A.D., okay? And Jesus said to his apostles, listen, uh, all of the things that are going to happen in the final period of the former age is going to occur within a generation of time, and the Bible clearly calls a 40-year period a generation. That's the biblical example of a generation. Then in 70 A.D., we have the end of the covenant age with the destruction, which we've talked about so much, of Jerusalem, including the temple, including 1,100,000 Jews killed and another 100,000 sent a diaspora out into the world. And their nation, the, the Mosaic Age, was absolutely routed. Okay? So 
That is the, what he is talking about. Here's the new age. Here's the old age. And when the apostles were writing in this 40-year period of time between 70 A.D. and 30 A.D. from the cross to the destruction of Jerusalem, when they were writing, they talked about the present age. Remember what was the present age they were in? They were still in this one because it hadn't ended yet here with this. That was the present age. But when they talked about the age to come, they were talking about this one at this point forward, which started here, transition period, and really moves forward at the 70 AD destruction. Which is why I would say to anyone who says we are still in the church age to consider this, we are now in the new covenant age completely, which was the age of the Messiah, which was the age when everything would be different and no longer even under apostolic uh, authority, except for maybe the written word. So we'll talk about that. Hopefully that helped somewhat in talking a little bit about the two ages, but I'm going to talk more once I can clear my throat. So that is going to have bearing on our study of Revelation 20, uh, but also on our study of 21 and 22, which is on the way. There are, as I've said, a number of texts which refer to this age in the New Testament and the age to come along with similar phrases. My stance, you know, of course, we're living in the new covenant age, the age to come, and that the previous age, the Judaic or old covenant age, came to an end 70 AD as prophesied, as spoken, and as described by secular historians, uh, which we have covered. David Curtis is perhaps one of the world's best living experts on the stance of two ages and with us being in the age to come today and not the present age written in Scripture. And he, I'm going to cite a lot from the stuff he has researched and come up with, but it's stuff we've already covered. But again, this is reiteration. So for clarity's sake, I want to start off by saying nowhere in the Bible, remember this, nowhere does God or his prophets say this world will end. Nowhere do we read there will be an end to this world. There's ends to ages, but there's not an end to this world. So when people say, when the guys are standing on the street corning, corning? the end of the world is coming, they are wrong from a biblical perspective. God says the opposite. This world will never end. There are passages in the Psalms that it will never end. People can't handle that. No, it has to end sometime. We've got to, and we, maybe we will destroy ourselves. Maybe the age of the human race under the Judeo-Christian ethic will cease to exist. But this world will not end. God created it. Why would a self-cleansing, self self-replicating, we die, we wipe ourselves out, the plants will take over. This world is not going away. It's not going to be destroyed. The reason we have the idea the world is going to go away is because the King James translators took the name age, end of the age, and they stuck world there in there. So people reading the Bible today say, and the end of the world will be, and they say, there's going to be an end. He's coming back. It's going to start. So there's the problem. So it's passages like Matthew 13, 40, where Jesus says, as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of the world. They read that in Matthew in the King James, and they say, okay, it's going to be, but... Uh, 
we know he said in the Greek, and then comes the end of the age. What age? That one. And that's what Jesus was talking about was coming to an end from the beginning of his ministry. And that's what John the Baptist was saying. Get prepared. Get prepared. The, the, the end is coming. The Messiah, the Messiah is here at the beginning of the new covenant age, which is also called the Messianic age. He is coming. He is here. I'm going to baptize him. Repent. Because the end of that former age is done. The two ages. Matthew 24, 3. You know this well. We've covered it. Jesus has been telling the uh, hypocrites and the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, you guys, how are you going to escape the death of Gehenna? How are you going to escape dying in that, that actual place over there? And then they walk by the temple and he says to the apostles, this place isn't even going to be standing, right? And then the next uh, chapter, very first verse, we read that Peter, James, John, and Andrew come to Jesus on the Olivet Mount. And it says, and he sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? And of the end of this age. Not the end of the world, as the King James says it. What is going to be the signs of all this? And we have frequently talked about how he answers this in the rest of the chapter. And then at verse 34, he says, and all of it will happen within a generation. All of it will happen in this period of time. And then he says, that's when, I, that's when your question's answered. The end of the age, the coming of the Son of Man, it's all going to culminate in that. So the fault of the King, Jam, uh, King, Jams, King James translation is we all know by now here at campus that world was translated translated from aeon or eon, age, to world. Newer translations of the New King James say, therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. They've corrected it in the New King James translation. So Jesus was clearly living in the age he was speaking of, and he said within a generation, all of the signs I've just given to you guys will occur. All right, I know I'm repeating. This end is connected in Scripture to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus' famous sermon on the uh, Mount of Olives in uh, Luke 21, 6-7. He says, As for these things which you behold, temple, for instance, as for these things which you're seeing, temple, the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what sign will there be that shall come to pass? David Curtis says the disciples' question was, when will the end be? And Jesus tells them clearly that it would come within the generation. And the word generation, no matter how much preterist haters tried to twist this, our best scholars agree it meant 40 years. So either Jesus was right or Jesus was wrong. It, generation there meant the contemporaries who were living at the same time that Jesus said it, within this generation. So that age had to be the end of that Jewish age. It would end with the destruction of what? The Jewish temple. Why? Because the Mosaic age was all based upon that temple and the sacrifice of animals for the propitiation of sin for the human race. So it had to be completely wiped out. In fact, there's a passage, I can't remember it now, where Paul says, we can't even get to the new uh, messianic age as long as that temple is standing. 
As long as it stands, we can't enter in to the new age. But we have historical data that shows it stopped standing in 70 AD. So we know we could enter in fully that messianic age. So uh, the end of the age did not happen at the cross or at Pentecost, as people say. When Jesus died on the cross or when the Holy Spirit was given to everybody at Pentecost, that was the end of the Mosaic Age. Lazy teachers will teach that. But that's not the case because the temple continued to stand and the Judaic rituals were still in place and God had not come with reward and judgment upon that nation for killing their Messiah. And until that happened, that would wipe out the age and Paul's declaration that the temple has to fall in order for the new age to even exist occurs. You get that? So this view that 70 AD was part of the dividing point between the two ages is not consistent with most futurists and premillennialist ideas. Uh, let me read from this guy named Doug Wilson. Uh, he said in a forum speech that was led by John Piper, John Piper had this eschatology thing, and he says that the years 30 to 70 AD were the overlapping of two ages, the Judaic Old Covenant Age and the Christian Church. He likened this transition to the passing of a baton between two runners where the first runner keeps running alongside the second runner before completing the passing of the baton and for the second runner to then take off. When the two runners are running together, we have the, this period of the ages that are going on. And when the apostles wrote, they always referred to it as this present age. And when they spoke of what was going to come with the destruction of Jerusalem, it was the age to come in every uh, case. I agree with that assessment, but I don't see anything in Scripture as being definitive in terms of uh, there being like a strict line between this age and that. There rarely is in Scripture. There's always an overlapping of things, right? So how many ages are there? You know the answer, but I'm going to cite William Barclay. He's a Bible commentator. Time was divided by the Jews into two great periods. Let me repeat that to you guys who want to make it up to be something different. Time was divided by the Jews between two great periods. This present age and the age to come. Everything to a Jew was that. The present age is, as I have said, wholly bad. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Completely bad. Beyond any human reformation. The present age they were in was under corruption because of the presence of the law and the presence of a temple where animal sacrifice is still going on, and the presence of a genealogy which gave them a priesthood. All of it was corrupt by Jesus' day, Jesus' death, Jesus' ascension, still corrupt. Okay? So it could be mended only by direct intervention from God. When God intervenes, then the golden age will arrive. Now, if he's going to intervene in the future, we're waiting for that golden age, which is why futurism is so attractive to people, because they can't see us as living in a golden age today, and they can't see that Satan has been bound and cast into the lake of fire, and they can't see all of this stuff being fulfilled. So when they read the Bible, and I'm going to say with fleshly eyes, they just keep reading that the day of the Lord hasn't come. All right? But... Between the two ages, 
for the finalizing of the end of that age would come the day of the Lord. And that would bring forth terrible, fearful, upheaval, birth pains of the new age to come. And we know from our study of Revelation that right here we have that time where the pains are coming for the birth of that new, um, new age to, to be. Zechariah 14 teaches us that the day of the Lord and the destruction of Jerusalem are interconnected. All right. So the destruction of Jerusalem, which was the day of the Lord, marked the end of the one age, you know it, the Jewish age, the Mosaic age, and the beginning of the new, the Christian age of the new covenant. With all the focus on the temple, amidst the 1500 year of Jewish Mosaic history, with all the focus being on the temple, you know, they gathered where the temple was, they did everything relative to the temple, brought their sacrifices, because as a nation, they could receive God's atonement propitiation for their sins. And so the temple is the only place they could offer those sacrifices. The temple was the central point of the focus of everything. It only makes sense that that age would completely end with the destruction of that temple. Are we waiting for the temple to still be destroyed? We are not. We are not waiting for that. It was destroyed, signaling to us that the end of the Mosaic economy occurred with the destruction of that temple. And that at that time, we had to have entered in to the, Mosa uh, the non-Mosaic time. So to the Jews, time was divided into those two great periods, the Mosaic age and the Messianic age. The Messiah was viewed as the one who was going to bring in new world order. And this was the period of the Messiah that was characterized in the Jewish synagogues throughout Old Testament and even the New as the age to come. We are looking for the age to come. So on one hand, this is interesting. Futurists are still waiting for the age to come with the advent of Jesus coming, even though the temple's been destroyed. And Jews are still waiting for the age to come because they're waiting for the Messiah to come to usher in the, their idea of what that age will look like. Both groups missing the fact that it is a spiritual age where the kingdom is spiritually being built. Because both are believing that materially we aren't seeing it. We need to have a material Messiah, say the Jews, to come and save ourselves. They believe that from the beginning. It's never been the case. And the futurists are saying we need to have uh, Jesus come so he can establish his material kingdom here on earth because it's not here among us. But neither of those are the case when we look at Scripture. All through the New Testament, we see the two ages in contrast to each other. This age, the present age and the age to come. This age being the reign of the temple Mosaic covenant age. And again, Paul's saying, we can't enter into the messianic age until the temple is actually gone. And then the age to come, which would be the reign of the Messiah age. I know, I know I'm saying it a lot because I'm trying to get everybody's head. Matthew 12, 32, New King James. We have an important passage. People have an idea, for some reason, in their head, that in the age to come, there will be no evil. There'll be no sin. Nothing will go wrong. We're in the age to come. The futurists are saying, just wait till Jesus comes back. He will reign with an iron fist and no one will do wrong, right? 
Matthew 12, 32, Jesus says, Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. Meaning, in the age to come, you can still sin. That's what he says. We have this utopian idea that in the age to come, like the Jews have, our Messiah will reign on earth and, and it will be perfect. The Christians have this idea that in the age to come, there'll be nothing wrong. That is not true. You can't even receive forgiveness in the age to come if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit in the age to come, you obviously have sinned. So sin exists in the future age, right? The word to come in that passage, in, the a, in this age or the age to come that Jesus said, is the Greek word mellow. And I'm going to read it to you how a Greek would read it. Jesus said, anyone who uh, speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age that is about to be. You can't change that in the Greek any more than you can change the English meaning of rapidly. You can't change it, okay? So Jesus is, tells us right there that that second age we're looking for was about to be. We know that the temple has to be destroyed for it to be. So that, those are some of the signals we're looking for. Um, now, take note. Sin against the Holy Spirit will be forgiven, will not be forgiven in that past age, which I include Jesus saying this while he's in this period, not in this age, nor in the world to come, indicates something about what that age, future age, will be like. Uh, in Ephesians 1.12, we read, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Showing that uh, the writer of uh, Ephesians, Paul, believed that they were in this age and the age to come. The Jews had how many ages? Two. One was the present age, one was the one to come. So Paul, when he wrote Ephesians, knew they were in the present age. Paul spoke of the age to come. The question is, are we still in that age that Paul was speaking about, or are we in the age to come? So the understanding of these two ages and when they changed is fundamental to interpreting the Bible correctly. And if you get the idea that we are now living and have been living in the age to come, if we are living in that age to come, then our faith, our Christianity is very, very different than what it looked like in Paul's present day age. What age do the New Testament writers live in? What age do we live in now? And then how is this age characterized in the New Testament? What does the New Testament say about the age to come? And what does this age, when does this age end? And when does the age to come begin according to scripture? So, what age do the New Testament writers live in? The New Testament writers lived in what they would call, in writing, this age, which to us was talking about the former age. That was the present age for them. It was, uh, to the New Testament writers, the age to come was future. So this age meant the present, all right? 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 8, New King James says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, Yet not the wisdom of this age, 
We're not speaking the wisdom of this Mosaic age, which is still going on all the way to 70 AD when we're writing. We're not speaking a wisdom of that age, okay? Nor of the rulers of this age, he says. We're not speaking of the rulers of the religious classes who are coming to nothing, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord uh, of glory. The wisdom and rulers of the age Paul was talking about, this age, were coming to nothing. How could he say they were coming mellow to nothing? About to come to nothing, nothing, if it didn't happen. And if it did happen, how do we still think they exist? How could they still exist? How could the nation still exist? How could the people still exist when they were destroyed and disseminated? They can't. So Paul is speaking of the Jewish leaders of the old covenant system. The rulers of this age crucified the Lord. And those rulers would shortly have no realm which to rule because he says the whole thing's about to end. Why do we equivocate? Why do we take this and start justifying all sorts of stuff relative to that nation and those people who once were with their genealogies and their temples and their priesthood? Why do we do that? Because we aren't ready to believe it's possible we could be living in an age where Satan has been cast into the lake of fire, that we are living in an age where God writes upon our hearts and minds and where everything that's material has been shaken. We can't believe in that. So we keep going back and gripping elements of the former age and saying it's justifiable by reading the Bible and assigning it to us today. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, think about this. If the Jewish age ended at the cross, as so many claim, why were they still ruling when Paul was alive? We, we like to draw lines because they make it clean. At the cross, everything was done. It was all finished. But they, but they don't say the nation of Israel was finished. They don't say any of that because the rulers continued to exist. They can't say that. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, Now all these things happened to them as examples, all, the Old Testament covenant Jews, and they were written for our admonition, up, listen to this, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Paul says that they were written for his and his other believers' admonition upon whom the end of the ages has come. You can't have yourself both in this age and in that age. You can't straddle that as a Christian. People try. But you're in one or the other. You're in the Messianic New Covenant age or you're in the Mosaic age. Okay? You got to be in one or the other. If you're in that one, then you have to admit that that one is gone. If you're in that one, you have to say this one has not come. And if you're in that one and saying this one has not come and you call yourself a futurist, you're in contradiction with the contents of the New Testament. You get it? So you can't have both worlds. So speaking of themselves, Paul says, upon whom the end of these ages have, have come. Then read Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. It says, <coughs> God, who in different times and in different ways, 
spoke in times past to our fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he had made the worlds. Jesus was speaking in the last days. What last days? The last days of the Bible's this age. Again, what, what, what's the last days that Jesus was speaking of? It's the Bible's this age. Because that's what the Bible is all couched in. We haven't had the destruction of Jerusalem yet. We're st- and when you read the contents of the Bible from Matthew all the way to Revelation, the temple is still there. It's still part of that age. It's still relating to that age. There's only promises of the age to come. And you can't have the age to come until the temple's gone. When did the temple go? 70 AD. And so now we have some correlation between the ages and when they're broken up. So Hebrews 9.26 says, He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the age, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So that's why some people say it's on the cross that the end of the Mosaic Covenant uh, happened. They liked the straight delineated line. But it really was the beginning then, but it really didn't occur until Jerusalem was punished for putting him on the cross, which happened at the destruction of the Jerusalem. So when was it that Jesus appeared? He was born not at the beginning of the Mosaic Age. He was born at the end of the age. To suppose he meant that Jesus' incarnation came near the end of the world would, be to, would make his statement false. I hope I make sen- made sense on that. The world has already lasted longer since the incarnation of Christ than the whole duration of the Mosaic economy. In other words, we've had more time since the beginning of this age till the cross than uh, we've had more time here than we've had there. Supporting the idea here is going to continue on. It's going to continue forward, right? So Jesus was manifestly there at the end with the axe laid at the root of the tree, the end of their age. And the Jews said, who knew him, who saw him, who understands scripture said, our fathers have always talked about, always talked about two ages. And John the Baptist is saying the Messiah is here. Be prepared for the ending of this age because we're about to enter into the one of the Messiah. And that is really what we're talking about, the coming forth of this new age. Remember Peter, he said uh, something really interesting. First uh, Peter 1.20, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. He wrote that, manifest in these last times. Last times of what? The world? No. These last times of what? They're always talking about the age when they talk. So the New Testament writers lived in what the Bible calls this age. How is this age characterized in the New Testament? Just to give it some some more fortification. First of all, it's called an evil age. This age is called an evil age in Scripture. Galatians 1, 3-4, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. 
according to the will of God and his Father. He's not just referring to bad times uh, at Ridgemont High. He's not, just seeing if you're awake. He's not referring to just bad times there in Jerusalem. He's talking about the present evil age. Paul says that the present age, which was that age, the one that was about to come to pass, is an evil age. Christ came to deliver them from the present age because it was evil. Could evil age be referring to uh, something we need to be delivered from? We need to be delivered from? No. That was the evil age. The new covenant's not the evil age. The new covenant is the hope. The new covenant is the, is the time of great things, not bad things. It's the futurists who have said, we're in such a terrible way. It's so bad. It's so bad. Uh, it's, things are just getting horrible because they insist on believing we're still in the present evil age. But that is not what scripture implies, right? Christ came to bring us out of the evil age and place those who are his, listen, in his kingdom, which is spiritual. Do we get sick here? Yeah, that's just part of the fall. Do we have problems? Do we all that? Yeah, of course. Yes, that's human life. But we are part of his kingdom, you know, and we're out of that evil age. The evil, that age was dark. Scripture says it was dark. Colossians 1, 12 through 13. Giving thanks to the Father who has quantified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his Son, of his love. When you abide in his kingdom, the messianic kingdom of the new covenant age, you are abiding in a love that trans, trans, um, trans, 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 <laughs> sends, thank you, my dear wife, transcends the uh, flesh and it transcends the law. It transcends that and you have that within you. And so that's the beautiful thing. Christ came to deliver uh, us from the power of darkness. This is a reference to the old covenant or the old age, which the Bible called this age. <coughs> I'm really sorry. <coughs> Another text, which I'm not going to cover, that gives credence to this is the parable in Matthew 21, 1 through 14, which is the parable of the wedding feast. We've talked about that in our study of the wedding feast and how it's so pictures what was happening at that time. But in that parable, speaking of the kingdom of heaven, uh, a king, God, was preparing a wedding feast for his son, Jesus. But those who were originally invited, the Jews, refused to come and even killed the king's servant who had invited them. Therefore, Jesus says, these murderers, Matthew 23, and their city, Jerusalem, was destroyed. This is a pr precisely what is happening in the destruction of Jerusalem in the burning of 70 AD. The invitation then goes out to others, the Gentiles as well as the Jews, but only those with the proper wedding garment were allowed to remain at the wedding. That's what we're in now. We're in the new covenant age. Have you been clothed with the proper wedding garment, which is love in my estimation? Have you been clothed with love? So uh, John 8, 12, then Jesus spoke them saying, um, oh, in that parable, those who are not clothed are cast out uh, and Jesus into darkness. And Jesus said when, in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not, shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That is what this age is all about. The light of life the light of life, having the, the, 
the solace and peace in us that transcends the outer uh, difficulties. So Jesus was speaking to the Jews. He was calling them to leave the darkness of that evil age and to accept him. The light came into the world, but his own did not know it. They didn't recognize it. You get it? Now listen to this one because it answers what we're going to finish reading in chapter 20. It was an age in which Satan ruled. This was an age, an age in which Satan ruled. Okay? Important to know. From scriptures, Acts 26, 18, New King James. We read, Jesus came to open their eyes in order to turn them from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and have an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The present age was one of darkness. And remember that Satan was called the God of that age. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 14. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose, mind, whose minds the God of this age, the God the God of this age has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel and glory of Christ who is in the image of God should shine to them. He was the God of that age. When Jesus returned, the fulfillment of what we're reading in Revelation chapter 20 occurred because he was part, in fact, he was the ruler of that evil dark age. All right? So remember this age is not referring to our age. It's referring to the age of, the, of that century. Satan ruled in the old covenant world of Judaism, but his reign was shortly in the first century to come to an end. Now, people, say they, we've talked about this here. How can that be with all the evil in the world? We don't need Satan to be evil. We are evil, enough of ourselves to be evil. Satan had a particular role with the house of Israel, and that was his role. To get rid of him does not get rid of evil. It doesn't get rid of darkness. We have enough of that. Is there sin in the new age? There certainly is. There is sin in the new age, but it comes from us. Just as Eve and Adam, they, didn't, they hadn't fallen, and they were able to sin. We have it within us. Satan was, played a role in the old uh, Mosaic uh, covenant. So he ruled that he reigned in the presence of the law and in the minds and hearts of that nation whose centrality was the city of Jerusalem, the temple, which was routed. So Romans 16, 20 says, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly, shortly. Did, he, did you hear it? Romans 16, 20, Paul wrote <coughs> back then, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. That word shortly would mean like me saying, I am going to stamp my foot shortly. That's what it means. It doesn't mean 2,000 years from now. It doesn't mean in a futuristic sense. The question I ask you, has the God of peace crushed Satan under your feet? Has he done it? Of course he's done. I mean, Satan would be crushed when the present age of darkness came to an end. He had to be crushed in order for Jesus to be over all things, which scripture says he is. All things are put in his power. Nothing is above him in his power. So Satan is in power. It's not above Christ. So he has been subjected. He's been subjected. So when John wrote his first epistle, he said that the darkness was passing. 
The darkness was passing. Listen, 1 John 2, 8. And again, a new commandment I write into you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away. In fact, the true light is already shining. It was the ending of that age when John said, listen, the darkness is passing away. In fact, the true light is shining. Paul said, it's got to happen when the temple goes down. When that happens, we will enter into the new age. The darkness is speaking of the old covenant age, the true light, the new covenant. It was an age of death and condemnation. It is an age of death. For by the law comes the knowledge of sin. The wages of sin is death. That's the former age. Okay? Paul is comparing the two covenants. The old covenant was one of death and condemnation. The new covenant is one of life and righteousness, goodness. It is life. Okay? When Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, that the old age, the present age, was in the process of passing away, this is what he says, 2 Corinthians 3, 5 through 11. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, talking about himself as an apostle. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. <clears throat> Remember that. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, that's, that's what he calls the Mosaic uh, Covenant, the ministry of death. Who's the king of death? Satan. If the ministry of death, the Mosaic Age, the Dark Age is destroyed, then Satan, the minister of death, is destroyed with it. He says, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, because we know the law was perfect, so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the face of Moses because of glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Okay? So we've had the apostles say that that is an age of death and darkness and evil, and yet here Paul admits it had glory to it. If that was glorious, what will this look like? You see? So, for the ministry of condemnation had glory, condemnation by the law, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. So, if you're still abiding in the age that Paul says we're in, and it was part of the Mosaic age, and you still think we're living in what he called our present age, you're not abiding in the glory of the gospel. You're abiding in a former covenant. You're abiding in a covenant that might have some glory, but it was still called dark and evil, you see? And you still think that Satan is having a, a, a role in your life that was victoriously done away with. Paul spoke to the Galatians about these two covenants, and he said the old covenant was at that time in effect. Ready? Galatians 4, 21, 26. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondswoman was born according to the flesh, 
and he of the free woman through the promise which things are symbolic. For these two are the two covenants. Okay? It's, it's, a, it's an amazing picture. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, okay, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above, New Jerusalem's there, you guys. The Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Oh, do you know what that is saying? If, if we are part of the new Jerusalem, the spiritual kingdom, not one made with mortar and brick, and we are part of that new covenant age, and we're part of that kingdom of light, we're in that part of kingdom of liberty, we're in that part of freedom of no condemnation, it's a glorious place to be, but you can't have it through the means of this stuff. Can't do it. It's impossible. You'll be in bondage, and you'll be playing freaking church is what you'll be doing. And you'll be paying your tithes. And you'll try to be obeying the law. And you'll be afraid that you've disappointed God because in your flesh you're a sinner. Yeah, you're a sinner. God took care of it. He gave us his son. Look to him. Live. But we keep going back to the old. It was an age that was called night. Uh, Paul says in Romans 13, 11 through 12, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now our salvation is nearer than we first believed, he tells them then. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, mosaic, and let us put on the armor of light, the new covenant age. Their salvation was drawing near. The night was about over. Is the Christian age day or night? Uh, it was day. It is day. We are in day. All right? The night of the old covenant Judaism was just about to end, and the day of the new covenant, the Christian age, was about to dawn. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 4. Let me read it to you. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, okay, Paul speaking, you have no need that I should write you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. So that this day should overtake you as a thief in the night. You're not part of it. You then, in this and this period even are still part of the light. It was a transition period, but you are believers now. You're in the light. You don't have to worry about the thieves that come and surprise you. You are all sons of light and sons of the day, he says. And you are not of the night, nor of darkness. Paul told the Thessalonians, Thessalonians Christians in Thessalonica, that they were not in darkness. They were sons and daughters of the day that was about to dawn. So this age of the Bible is the age of the old covenant that was about to pass away. And the book of Revelation has been telling them, this is the last part. Man, 
Satan is roaring. He knows his time is short. Nero is going to kill hundreds of thousands of Christians. He's allowed to in his three and a half years. We've read about it. We've seen it. And that was about to end, right? And it was characterized as evil, darkness, Satan's rule, condemnation, death, and night. And it should be clear to you that this age is not the Christian age in which we live. If it is in your life, you've misinterpreted or you've listened to people who have convinced you that we're still living in the present age that Paul talked about, ignoring the fact, ignoring the fact that they talked about him coming soon. Remember Hebrews 8.13, it says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready, the Greek, I mean, it's almost at the state of dust, is ready to vanish, vanish away. I have some friends that used to be friends of mine. They're not anymore because of my eschatology. They've gone through the route and they have searched and they're deep seekers and they have discovered Judaism restored. They, they live Torah. They've gone back and they are living elements of the age because they think that is what is necessary to please God. When in fact their eschatology, if they had changed it, instead of it being futuristic and reading the newspaper and looking at all the bad things happening in the world and thinking it's the end of it, they have glommed on to Torah now and will have nothing to do with me. But remember, all the way back in Hebrews, now what is becoming obsolete and growing old and ready to vanish away. The book of Hebrews was written around 65 to 69 AD. At this time, the old covenant was still in effect, but it was ready to pass away, and it passed away at that 70 AD biblical age. Let me finish today with these words from Curtis. We quote, we now live in what was to the first century saints the age to come. When most Christians read in the New Testament and see the words, the age to come, they think of yet future age to themselves. But the New Testament writers were referring to the Christian age or what the Christian writers called the age to come, the new covenant age. So I want to read verses 10 through 15 again of Revelation chapter 20. And I don't think I'm going to explain them. I could. We could spend another three weeks probably. I'm not going to. I've given you the example of the ages. It's there. I don't need to explain it. May the Spirit, this is the first time we've done this in Revelation, may the Spirit guide you with all this information on how to understand when the contents and to whom the contents of verses 10 through 15 apply. Ready? And the devil that deceived them of that day and age was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beasts and the false prophets are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. John says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whom whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, stand before God. 
and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead, all who had ever lived up to that point, were judged out of those things, which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. One thing to say there, in other words, the lake of fire is the second death, is what he says there for the people who were being judged at the great white throne, who had been thrown into the seas around there with their dead bodies. They had all come out, hell had come out, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, one thing I have to conclude with. I suggest that whatever was cast into the lake of fire suffered death to the things that were not of God. Now, I add that. People will say, no, they, they're, still, they're in their suffering forever and ever and ever because it's the second death. Um, but I want you to read that um, they were cast into the lake of fire and, and Scripture says, well, I'll read you what Scripture says, that they would suffer their portion of it. Jesus says, and they will suffer their portion of the lake of fire. So the things that were of their flesh died at that time and in the lake of fire. I do believe they were not eternally in that lake of fire. How do you come up with that, McCraney? I come up with it because it says um, that in Matthew 24, that the lake of fire was created for men and women. No, it doesn't. The lake of fire, Jesus says, was created for Satan and his angels. So if, if those who are thrown into the lake of fire and suffer a second death to the things that are not of God, it by no means means that those people in that day are still in their burning eternally. It just means they suffered something, but it was never created for them. Therefore, they're never going to abide in it. That's how I would see it. I support this from a passage in chapter 21, which we're going to begin to read next week. It says, for chapter 21, verse 8, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You take your part in it? Fine. Done. And this, this ties in with my view of God and his love and his reconciliation of all people. We're now ready to move on into our study of the rest of the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22, where John presents us, the readers, them the reader at that time, a picture of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And that is a spiritual kingdom. And this is after all of that has taken place. So chapters 21 and 22 may have started here. A lot happened here, but we really enter into... Uh, uh, it's starting here and this describing everything out of the new covenant age. Now, uh, I don't, how are we doing on time? 345? We started at 230? Have I gone over? Do you, uh, I, can, I, wanna, I really want to wrap this up because we put so much effort into uh, the book of Revelation. I think wrapping up this example and all we've talked about is important from Scripture. And so I want to read you uh, a number of Scriptures. And this is from the mouth of, and they're short, this is from the mouth of the writers of the New Testament. Okay? And it's just to add an exclamation point, and it'll take me about eight minutes, and we'll be done. 
And I'm not going to read you the reference. If you want this list, I'll give it to you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. The winnowing fork is in his hand. You shall not, he says to the disciples, finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Jesus said that to his apostles. You won't get to the rest of Jerusalem before I come back. Was he wrong? No. The age about to come. The Son of Man is about to come in the glory of his fathers with his angels, and then he will recompense every man according to his deeds, Matthew 16. The Son of Man is about to. There are some of those who are standing here shall not taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You tell me. This generation will not pass until all these things take place. From now on you, Caiaphas, chief priests, scribes, elders, the whole Sanhedrin, shall see the Son of Man. You shall see the Son of Man coming, uh, sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. He told that to them living at that time. I'm going to skip the repetitions of those passages in Matthew and of Mark, Luke, and pick up from here in John I will come to you, Jesus say, in that day you shall know that I am in the Father and you are in me. Lord, what then has happened that you are about to disclose yourself to and not unto the world? What are you going to show us in the time that's coming? If I want him, John, to remain until I come, what is that to you, Jesus said to Peter? Was he just making that up? This was what Peter says was spoken of by Joel the prophet. And it shall be in the last days. We are not in the last days, folks. The world's not coming to an end. We are free from all of that rhetoric. He says in Acts 17, He has fixed a day in which he is about, mellow, to judge the world, cosmos, in righteousness. The world, that's interesting, isn't it? That in that case, it's going to be judged. There is about to be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. There is about to be. As he was discussing righteousness, self-control and judgment are about to come. It says in Romans, not for Abraham's sake was it only written that faith was reckoned to him as righteousness, but for our sake also to whom it is about to be reckoned. If you are live, living according to the flesh, you are about, in the Greek, to die. That's powerful. That's a message of an apostle to the Jews at that time and the Romans, the Roman Christians at that time. If you're living according to the flesh, you're about to die. Where would they die? In the lake of fire, the second death. They would experience what their flesh had created for them. That's contextual to me. I consider the sufferings of this present time, Paul says, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is about, mellow, to be revealed to us. Was Paul wrong? If he was wrong, take the rest of the Bible and smoke it. He's not wrong. It is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than we believe. The night is almost gone. The day is at hand. In his day, at that time, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I believe it. The time has been shortened. The form of this world is passing away. 
the form of this world, this age, is passing away. Now these things were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. To them at that time, not us. Don't let someone tell you it's us. We shall not all fall asleep, but we shall be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, and the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised in combat, and we shall be changed. Notice we. We shall not all fall asleep. We shall be changed. Written to them, not to us, because it was happening to them. Maranatha, you know what that means? 1 Corinthians 16.22. Have you ever been to a church where someone says, Maranatha, it means the Lord comes. They were saying it back to the church at Corinth. Not only in this age, but also the age to come, Ephesians. The Lord is near, Philippians. The gospel was, listen, the gospel was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, written to them. Have you ever heard someone say, the gospel needs to go out to all the world before it can come back? Hey, he said it all the way back there in Colossians 1, in Romans 10, in Colossians 5 and 6, in 2 Timothy 4, in Revelations 14. Clement of Alexandria says it. The gospel was proclaimed already to all creatures under heaven. It's not going to be fulfilled anymore. Which are things of a shadow of what is about to come? We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the cloud. You, brethren, are not in darkness, the day should, that the day should overtake you as a thief. We who are alive, we who are alive, we shall be caught up in the clouds. You, brethren, to them in that age. May your spirit and body and soul be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to them. It was anticipated by them that some would be there at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is only for God to repay with affection those who afflict you and to give relief to those who are affected, as well as to the Lord Jesus shall be revealed in heaven with his mighty aids. That shall be is soon to be. Godliness holds promise for the present life which is about to come. 1 Timothy 4.8, which is about to come. I charge you that you keep the commandments without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, meaning we expect him to come. Storing up for themselves treasures of a good foundation for that which is about to come, so that they may hold fast to life indeed to the believers. In the last days, difficult times will come, for men shall be lovers of self. Well, that's today. We even have a self magazine. Avoid these men. And then he goes on, but he says, <coughs> Will about is about to come. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is about to quickly judge the living and the dead. God, who after a long time spoke to prophets and many, has in the last days, last days spoken to us by their sons. Did he not subject the angels, the world that is about to come? Hebrews 2.5. And have tasted the powers of the age about to come. Hebrews 6, 5. And he said a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way of life, heavenly, holy places has not been revealed while the other tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. 
according both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the bodies imposed until a time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things about to come, and now once the consummation of the ages, he has, been, he has manifestedly put away sin. Did you hear that one? People question me when I say sin is done. Now once at the consummation of the ages, he has manifestly put away sin. And so what does that mean? We are in a new covenant age that is glorious because the law is gone. You see the day drawing near. The fire of a fury which is about to consume the adversaries. For in a very little while, Hebrews 10, he who is coming will come and will not delay. A very little while. It's been 2,000 years almost. Doesn't apply to us because in a very little while, just like the writer of Hebrews said, he came. And when he came, everything changed. And Satan was put down. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the one that is about to come. Speak in Axo, those who are about to be judged by the law of liberty. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord, James tells his readers. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand, he repeats. Salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time, says Peter. He has appeared in these last times for your sake, says Peter. They shall give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, says Peter, the apostle, to the believers at that time of that age. The end of all things, of all things, is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, it says in 1 Peter. As your fellow elder, Peter says, and witness of sufferings of Christ, and partaker also of the glory which is about to be revealed, said Peter. He was not wrong. Peter was right. The glory was revealed. We are in a different age. You are free from the law. You are free from religion. You are free from all the stuff that encompasses a dark nature of the religion. We are in an age of light where God now works independently with every individual. No intercessors are needed. We don't need apostles. We don't need them. They were died off. They were done away with. We don't need church. We have a prophetic word, Peter says, which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep, he says. The last day's mockers will come for they are willingly ignorant. And then first Peter, second Peter again, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night 
in the which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people should you be in your conduct and godliness, godliness looking for the hastening of the coming of the day of the Lord? Futurists say, have the heavens been burned up? Has the earth been destroyed? This is Hebraic language. It just is the way they talked about the end of that age. Get with it. The darkness is passing away. The true light is already shining, John says in 1 John. The world is passing away and its desires, he says again. John says, John the beloved, apostle of Jesus, it is the last hour. Now, he was either right or wrong. He says, even now many antichrists have arisen. From this we know it's the last hour. And you know what people do? Don't care. Don't care. Don't care. He's still coming. That's what I want to believe. This is that of Antichrist, which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. Do you remember when Paul talked about the Antichrist coming? John tells us in his day, the Antichrist was already in the world. He was talking about Nero. Jude, for certain persons have crept in and noticed those who were long before marked out for this, this condemnation. Also, these are Enos prophesying, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with many a thousand of holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict the godly. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoke, spoken beforehand by the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they were saying to you, In the last time there shall be mockers. This is what you should remember, fellow readers of Jude. In the last days there will be mockers following after their own godly lusts. These are the ones who caused division to them at that time to show his bondservants, Revelation chapter 1, the things must, that which must shortly take place. Written to the seven churches, almost done. The time is near, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. To the seven churches, from John's hand, copy this, give it to him. The time is near. Nevertheless, what I have, hold fast, Jesus says in Revelation 2, till I come. I will also keep you from the hour of testing, which is about to come upon the whole world. Revelation 3.10. I am coming quickly. Revelation 3.11. Jesus was lying. John was a lunatic. It was a false prophecy or it was right. And he lived up to his promises. And he came as he said he would. And she gave birth to a, son, a, a male child who is about to rule all the nations. And in her, the great city of Babylon, was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who have been slain upon the earth. That was written all the way back then in Revelation chapter 18. To show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. Cannot escape that. Revelation 22. Behold, Jesus says, Revelation 22. I am coming quickly. He repeats. Don't seal up the words of this prophecy. The time is near. He repeats. Behold, I am coming quickly. He repeats, and he ends the book, yes, I am coming quickly. And that's the end of the New Testament. I think the case is made. Forget you guys who criticize and attack and malign. I think the case has been made. And if you don't want to believe what the apostles and Jesus taught, I love you, but we've gone through it. We were challenged to go through the book of Revelation. It's taken us two years, I think, plus 
of this study. And the Bible makes it clear. And if that's the case, my friends, if that's the case, anyone who is embracing an eschatology that is not preterist, full preterist, is embracing a diminished gospel. I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm not saying they're not Christians. I'm saying they don't understand what it means to be a Christian in the new covenant age under Christ. We'll continue with chapter 21 and 22, which describes that age next week. Questions, comments. Thanks for your patience and for allowing me to go over a bit. <coughs> mm. It's green. Oh, it's on. It's green. Okay. Um, so when were the last days? Well, did they start in the time of, uh, from the time Jesus was born to his death, or were they from the time he was resurrected till the second coming? The day of the Lord is in this AD. period. I don't know. Those what? were considered the last days. When John the Baptist, after the quiet yeah. period of 400 years, came, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, those were the last days of that age. Also, when the apostles were around. Sure. Oh, yeah, they were in the last. That's why those last quotes yeah. I read to you, they're all saying it's the last well, no, hour. No, I believe that. I was just curious when it started. Was it from the time? We don't know. Uh, to look for, uh, there's, there's debate on when does things yeah. start. Yeah. But it certainly was going on during that window right there. I agree. Yeah. And it, I love this teaching. Praise I appreciate God. it. It's so freeing to know that it's done. We're not in the last days. Jesus came. He did it. He crushed the crushed. devil. I believe that. Praise God, brother. And I praise God for that. Anybody else? Okay. 21 and 22, I think we're going to get through them quicker. And then we're going to take a vote for you stalwart guys and girls. What do we study next? Up to you. I'll study anything after Revelation. <laughs> Except for some Old Testament strange book. You know, don't do that to it. Let's do something that has some meaning, that talks about goodness and Jesus and love and faith, you know, so we can stop talking about beasts with ten eyes and, and let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we love you and excuse my warped sense of humor. We, we all seek you and we have a heart for you. That's why we're sitting in a hot room in June and an afternoon trying to understand what you have to say. We pray that your spirit will move I would emphatically teach these words, but of course I'm wrong in things and change my mind. And, and we have to discover the truth through the Spirit, through you. We come to a unity of the faith. We do. But we just pray the information will, 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 that is right and good, that we will take it and use it appropriately. We pray for Gracie continued healing from cancer. Pray for Diana and the continued healing from her ailments of, of aging and, 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 and bad hips and knees and shoulders. Pray for Annette healing from another cancer surgery and an infection she's caught. Mike continued healing from a brain bleed and recovering of short-term memory. Robert from lymphoma and kidney cancer. Pray for our sister Kathy. Uh, her ex-husband recently passed. I was able to meet him. And uh, even though they divorced, they were great friends. And he uh, recently passed. So we pray for her family and the children they had together. And uh, we pray for Robert. Uh, we pray for Diane, kidney disease and a procedure tomorrow. Glenda, 
a side pain, Thane, who needs peace and comfort in his life and haven't seen Thane for a while. We just pray he'll uh, come back and fellowship here, and if not here, somewhere else where he will be able to find that peace and comfort through you. Family and friends of Jan Moffat, who passed this week. Almir, pray for the Lord's comfort in overcoming his addictions. He's in jail right now uh, because of a parole violation, and we pray that this will be a time that will break uh, him, bring him to you. We pray. I pray for my family. I pray for the uh, trials that are going on with us, and that your spirit will abide more abundantly and help us get through the difficulties. Help my parents who seem to be going out at the same time and and, uh, watch over all the dynamics involved with that and my daughters and their husbands and and, um, changes in life and growth and maturity and all the things that we face. And anybody else who aren't on this list who have prayers on their hearts, who are dealing with the things that this life gives. And some of them are really difficult. And we just pray that you will be with them. You'll make yourself known. You'll strengthen them, encourage them, and lead them to greater faith and greater love, knowing that this life is a vapor and that uh, we will pass through it, end up on the other side of eternity, and want to be with you because of the glorious gospel and the age that we now live in. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.